and now. Welcome to episode 52 of the Grassroots Guy podcast with me, your host, Harry Purdy. Today, I'm delighted to bring on a uh, specialist in a lot of formats, actually. Uh, Jim owner, 100-kilometer recent runner, ex-footballer, and currently starting to get back into it again. Georgie Harris, mate. How are we doing, buddy? Very good, thank you, Harry. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, you're welcome. Are you looking forward to your experience on the Grassroots Guy podcast? Yeah, I am. I'm looking forward to um, uh, spreading a bit of um, what a bit of insight in what I've been through, and obviously discuss what we both have to say within grassroots, and yeah, share it. Yeah, amazing, Georgie. I ask the same question to every guest who's played grassroots sports in general. What is your first memory of grassroots sport for yourself? It's got to be uh, primary school sports, definitely having such a, uh, well, my primary school teacher was my mother. So that helped. That helped a lot. Um, and I won't be too biased, but um, having her by your side in out every day uh, was, was, was so useful being able to be part of, you know, football, rounders, cricket, rugby, athletics, basketball, netball, etc. So starting from that very low level and having that kick up the bum from day one um, in sport was definitely the, the first I've had in grassroots. Yeah, the thing I think that a lot of the lads and ladies that I've had on the podcast have got in common is when it came to sports at school, there was nothing that you didn't want to try your hand at. Is that the case with you? Yeah, absolutely. It was almost... Um, it wasn't even a case of you were pushed into doing it. You just wanted to do it. Your friends were there. You wanted to give it a go. Um, I think it's definitely changed from an outside perspective. I see it definitely changed from when we were, you know, six, seven, kicking about. Even yeah. even going up the wreck or meeting your friends on a weekend at 10 o'clock, um, going up the wreck to the mugger court popping home for 10 minutes, getting grabbing and lunch and going back again until six o'clock. Yeah, literally, like, I remember summer after summer, me, Luke Vivash and Tom Salter would spend yeah. hours in the afternoon playing heads and volleys in a little goal at Stoke Rec, go home, half an hour, mum, can I go back out now? You yeah, cycle back down and do it till, like, the, you lost light, you know? Madness. Yeah, it was class. Loved yeah. it. I would, do it I, would, I would do it. I would do it with anybody again now just to relive it yeah to relive it share that experience it was it was awesome loved it amazing what was the apart from football then what were the sports that like grabbed you the most when you were growing up georgie so i started at a young age doing basketball um about four or five started basketball what was it about basketball that appealed to you do you think uh my dad did it when he was at college um uh, and growing up, and um, my brother also did it. Uh, they they held a, a, a club at um, Stanchester. Nice. Um, years ago, and um, I joined in. Um, I joined in, and then when it first really kicked off with me, the coach was um, Andy Herbert. Herbie from college, but he did yeah, it yeah. separate because he, he he climbed out of quite quite well with rug. Uh, sorry, with basketball. Um, and, and had his own 
his own sort of like young young team and um yeah so I did it did it there and just loved it really enjoyed it it's amazing isn't it like hearing um the influences that you have had obviously with your mum being like a not a pushy PE teacher but she was pushy to you because she wanted you to be active and get involved and then hearing your dad and your brother's involvement I remember actually um I remember your brother Will that was his sport wasn't it basketball was his sport but um what was football the one that like stuck out for the most for you for me definitely I think um like before we'd come on tonight and I was thinking of the last few days and why probably football was like a main um, attribute to my um, sporting starting life really was the guys around you like I was very lucky to have quite a sporty and talented group in my age yeah um, through primary school and secondary school and of course when you when you when you hit secondary school then you're open to bigger catchment areas that join your team um, club team not just you know school team club team and um you know, like you say, you've got the likes of Luke Vivash, Tom Salter, um, uh, Tom Webb, Alex Truman, Alex Watsingall, um, Jamie Gibson coming in at the back. You know, was, yeah, it was some great players and it was great, you know, fun to play with. And that was just a small, you know, a small mix. Um, so that definitely helps. That definitely helps, yeah. When you went to secondary school and like played for Stokes of Hamden, which was obviously your grassroots team, you got given the captain's armband. Yeah. Tell me about that. Like, is it just something that you naturally had as a youngster, bit of leadership? Before we go into that, go I've never actually um, forgiven you for giving me my only, my first and only yellow card on the on the field of Stoke. I remember playing against. Can't remember who we were playing against, but you 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 obviously ref in. I think I, I don't know. I think I probably got. Gobbed off at me, mate. Defo. Yeah, I mean, and you gave me the other card. I can believe it. Never forgiven you. Uh, <laughs> what, what was your question about the captaincy? Uh, basically, yeah. Was it something that you had as a youngster, like a bit of natural leadership? You said before you come on the podcast that you can talk in front of people, and obviously that's something that you've got to have. No matter. I, I mean, obviously, it, um, when you're primary school age, it doesn't necessarily matter who's the captain. It's normally the best player. But when you when you get under 16s, 17s, 18s, even under 15s, you want that captain to be somebody that you kind of look up towards, if you like. Yeah, I think, again, though, with the, with the grassroots and from, like, our area, our um, our team stuck together from under fives to under 16s when you finish and then go into the men's. Yeah. So it was that case of... Um, like I felt very comfortable in my um, in my team and who I was leading um, and who I had to lead if anybody knew was coming in. Uh, so I felt comfortable doing that. And you know, again, from being at school with my, with my mom, and she would then sort of like put me in a scenario where I, you know, from a young age had to lead a warm up or whatever, and that would just obviously stem. The, the confidence to be able to take something a little bit further and then um yeah like you say talking in front of people or um or, or whatever it is hold hold a you know decent conversation with anybody definitely yeah, it helps it, it's good it's got to be a trait that helps now you uh co-own a gym mate like something that started so long ago it's a it's a um quality that you've probably taken through your life and it's like for me 
I've always been able to talk for people and it's standard me running my own podcast, um, doing some yeah. coaching myself and whatever. And it's amazing, isn't it? Just these little things that you pick up as a child, how it can have the benefit on you going forward in life. Yeah, it's, you, you've got to hold yourself with that. Um, and, you know, you could, you could, you know, from where, from where I want to, from what I want to do and what, for what you want to do, we, we have to be personable people. We have to be able to hold ourselves in a conversation. Um, we have to be able to um, talk about things that don't usually or may not run run off the tongue um, and be confident about. But those things, you know, they have to be done, and and it shouldn't necessarily take too much to be able to do. Um, if if so, then it almost comes from like a hidden perspective mm. you know some looking at the conversation might go well you know quite a lot about that but not necessarily all the time um you just have to have that front and and feel 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 good enough to be able to to do it you know yeah sure yeah. do you do you in find that sorry mate go on carry on well, i was just gonna say like in this in this environment you know for you know for joe blogs the the, pub, the public you, you're the one that they need to talk to. Yeah, sure. You can't, you can't be other than that person that knows everything. You can't hide. No, no, exactly. Even though you probably don't have all the answers. Random question then. What do you do when you don't know the answer to something? <laughs> Good question. Um, obviously, you have to be honest. Mm. You know, if, there's, if, if, it's a, if it's a period away... You know, if it's a subject that you really don't know, you have to be honest. You know, um, but if it's in my environment, I'm pretty certain that you'll have a good idea. I'm gonna know some aspect to it. Yeah, sure. And then my second question on the whole communicating uh, yeah. side of things: Would you say you're a naturally confident person? To a certain aspect, yeah. 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 Go on, dive into that. Then, why'd you say to a certain aspect? Uh, I'm not someone that like would like to bloat, you know, or 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 go any sort of way of being big-headed. Mm-hmm. I don't like that at all. Um, so in terms of confidence, it's it's as far as you can carry yourself. Um, if 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 I'm too far at my depth, then you'll see that. Yeah, you'll definitely see that. Where do you get your confidence from, then? Uh, uh my dad yeah yeah just he's just tell me uh, more he's, he's he's just done um he's just done the, the village pantomime right and he's he's definitely uh like he played a good role in it and he just he doesn't really care he just enjoys it gives it a crack um he's always been very good as well at doing like speeches and different things so i definitely got that um genetic string there i think from from dad yeah amazing um, yeah i'll stop i'll stop grilling you on yeah. the communication and confidence front now maybe i thought i was interested yeah. to just it's always something i find really interesting with people because people label me as um naturally confident but i've never done anything to like warrant having that trait but i do believe that if you get labelled with something like leader, like confident, you tend to stem into that role a little bit more. 
And when you almost label yourself as unconfident or not very good at communicating, it almost like amplifies itself. Does that, does that make sense yeah. of what I'm trying to get out of that? No, combo? Yeah. The more you do it, obviously the easier it becomes or the, mm. the more natural it feels. Like, so, uh, like they say about like anything, like if you want to do something, like if you want to do, if you want to yeah. get better at press ups, do press yeah, ups. Yeah, exactly. If you want to, yeah, yeah. If you want to uh, get better at, I don't know, making models, make more models. Mm. If you want to get better at doing the garden, get out in the garden. Yeah, more, you know exactly. I mean? yeah. And, but, but speaking for, for me, like down the line, goal wise, speaking for me is something that I want to do. Yeah. Um, on in not necessarily in a podcast form in in a like a bigger audience form like with seminar people. type thing yeah exactly like and, I, and I've done it before for Diabetes UK um, I've done a lot for them um, in London and around here to to the BBC to the Metropolitan Police the like like different like organisations yeah and I really enjoy that. and I, and I, similarly to you where you've gone to the college and you've done. In, in the lecture, yeah, yeah. I think did you do or in the classroom? Yeah, resilience. Yeah, so things like yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. The more that you do, um, yeah, the easier it becomes. I might have something for you, Georgie. So I'll mention it after the podcast. Yeah. Um. Anyway, moving on. Uh, secondary school into college. How did you find that transition? Uh, again, I loved it. I loved it because I knew the people who were going to be in and around college. I already had uh, an idea of who was already there as well in terms of like the lecturers. Um, like Andy Herbert again from basketball, he yeah. was there as a lecturer. Um, uh, I knew Andy Roder through like school school um, visits and things like that. Yeah, through again through mum that helped. My brother was a few years older than me, so um, although he went through, he he wasn't necessarily down like a sporting route, but, but he, you know, I knew people through through him, which was good. Um, and yeah, like you, you go through Stanchester, going against people from Preston and Bucklers, and now you you're in the same you're in the same team. Yeah, Which yeah. Cool. It opens up your um like like social spectrum a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Like people, I, I always found it funny. Like there was always like a bad label about other other schools, weren't there? Mm. When you're growing up, yeah. and then like. A month after you've left school, you're bet you're getting like best mates yeah. with some of them. Ridiculous. Yeah, that's it. You you play against some football and you think, just yeah, I don't like him. And then you, yeah, you, you <laughs> actually, it's alright. Yeah, yeah, ridiculous, <laughs> mate. You mentioned um you you've done some speaking in regards to diabetes UK. Obviously, yeah. it's something and one of the biggest talking points. We may as well go into it early doors in the podcast. One of the biggest talking points um in today's show is you are type one diabetic and like you say, you've done those talks um, for somebody who's like non-sporty and doesn't really know like the, the science behind it. It's something that could, you could say, geez, like it's quite dangerous um, for somebody yeah. to do like massive runs that you do like football 90 minutes and stuff. How quickly did you, when did you get diagnosed with it properly and how quickly did it take you to come to terms and get used to it? Uh, 2007 is when I, was diagnosed uh, in November. It was what really kicked off. Was in fact you could have been ref in the game. It was it was football, and um, a couple of days before, well, one of the one of the symptoms you have for type one um, and type two. Type one is um, you you become very thirsty 
that right. very thirsty, you, you you drink a pint of water and then two minutes later you need another one. Um, and therefore, obviously, the, the the domino effect from that is that you need to go to the little time. But uh, this particular football game, my mum was on the sideline uh, with a bottle of water and literally every two minutes I was riding to the sideline drinking and she would run to the... Um, to the clubhouse, fill it up, back again for the whole for the whole game. Really? Um, yeah. So there was the, there was the day after. Basically, it was like right, let's let's go to the hospital, let's get checked. And yeah, you know, they they diagnosed me with diabetes there and then because um, of my levels. And it was a case of you're not leaving or you're not allowed to leave the hospital without self injection um, and testing, which was like as a fourteen year old guy. 13, 13, 14 year old boy, it was, it was, it was a bit tough going, right, can't go home until I've injected myself with this needle. And I always remember it. I thought, right, well, I don't want to stay here in the hospital overnight. So bang, there it goes in, went through everything, obviously sort of whistle stop, but they, the, the team there and to this day have been unbelievable. Um, I got home that next injection. I literally just sat there just froze basically knowing that I was going to have to do this for the rest of my life. But at that point going, I'm not ready to put a needle in, you know, in, in my thigh, but again, like I say to loads of people, you get dealt with the cards and it's how you play those cards. So at that point, like there's nothing you can do about it. Like there's, you, you get diagnosed and everyone says, Oh, five, 10 years, it'll be, it'll be, um, diagnosed, uh, it'll be, um, um, cured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you sort of like believe that. Does that it'll be fine? Like we'll get through it. Um, you know, I've got very supportive family, very supportive friends that understood it pretty pretty well. Um, and yeah, it's just one of those things that you just gotta crack on with. Unfortunately, there's gonna be those ups and downs with it, but yeah, sure. Is what it is. When you when you go and do these talks for like the Met Police and like the Diabetes UK ones that you've done, what are the biggest messages that you try and like share with people? Um, you need to be educated about it to a certain extent because we all know some, at least one person whether it's family or friend that has it <clears throat> yeah it seems to be nowhere as in type 1 not type 2 type 1 yeah yeah Obviously, type 2 is a different strand <clears throat> but from a, from a type 1 myself obviously yes I know quite a few people but there's still loads of people out here that I have no idea that you've got it you know, and it, and so even even that talking with that person it helps massively. Mm. You know, whatever condition that you might have, talking about it helps massively. You know, whether it's physically or psychologically, um, their psychological condition. Um, and actually, the the other thing, the message going across to them is that you can still do whatever you want. Like I can still do whatever I want. It's, as simple as that you 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 do the best you can with it and you can do whatever you want so on event management then mate so when you did 100 kilometers um when did you do that it was quite recent wasn't it uh, it was it was may last year i think it it happens again on the first weekend of may right so okay uh, so you you run 100 kilometers yeah. obviously i know it's um the basics behind it would be managing your sugars yeah. But how does how do you do that on such a long run, and how often are you having to check yourself? So we so we wear so we majority of us wear something called a, a freestyle Libra. Is that, that you literally just scan it. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you'll see people walking around that have got it on the back of their tricep um, or other parts of the body, but usually on the back of their tricep and, it, and it, there's a little tube that sits just underneath the skin that's able to measure the blood count, um, the blood sugar count. And uh, yeah, you scan it with your phone, which is unbelievable. Or you yeah. have a, another little pod that you have, but <clears throat> you get the app on your phone, you can scan it. And you, I mean, the more scans you do a day, the more in tune and aware of what your obviously your blood sugar is doing. So I was scanning, um, must be in every sort of 15, 20 minutes. Really? Um, yeah, it's just, I, I, I had my phone in my pocket in, on my back, so it was easy to get scan, bang, know what I'm doing, uh, whether I had to sort myself out or, you know, I'm, I'm good to go. But uh, it was tough to be able to do that, really tough. I knew I could run 100 kilometers physically, you know, with my legs. It was whether then the diabetes obviously carry me through as well. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And that, like, uh, app and the device that they've created must be so yeah. helpful. It's unbelievable. It really is unbelievable. And they, they have one now that, um, although it's been out for a little while, but they have one so that you, your sugar levels, you want it to be between a certain range. Yeah. And if it goes below your your... Um, lowest point it'll it'll send an alarm on the phone it'll be like a like a wake-up alarm like a really annoying one until you sort yourself out and, and really? similarly on the high end so if you go above what your um, spectrum is that will do the alarm as well so Mad. yeah it's good. and of course then you can link them to smart watches and you can see them on your wrists so like technology is is helping massively from where you know it was 15 years ago yeah, so although you've not necessarily been given a cure, you've been given an amazing self-managing kind of tool, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't inject it anymore. So I haven't been injecting for about eight years. I have something called a, um, a pod. It's called, the, 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 the brand is called Omnipod. You know, basically in non-scientific firm, uh, terms and very simple. It's a it's a device on my back that keeps me on a drip twenty four hours a day. Oh right! Wow. Seven days a week. Yeah, and I control it with something like a, another little device that allows me to program in um, different measurements, what my blood glucose is, or how many carbohydrates I'm having, and it will calculate the exact amount of units I need for that meal. So um, when so when yeah, you do when you do exercise, mate, how much more sugar do you need? when you're doing it like and how does it vary from like weight training to running is is uh, i mean we, we could talk about this for hours and go yeah yeah, yeah a lot but obviously if you go really simple and you go cardio you're going to be burning energy you're going to be burning glucose so you obviously your sugar levels go down therefore um prior to doing that cardio you want to make sure that you're your base insulin, so that 24-hour drip is going at a lesser rate than what it usually would be because I don't want to give myself too much yeah. and therefore be um, you know, uh, far higher in insulin than I am sugar. Then I'll just drop into a hypo. Resistance training is a different story. So resistance training, obviously, you, the, the adrenaline and all sorts of different hormones that you get when lifting weights can spike your glucose. So then you've got, to, you've got to then, yeah, so you've, you've then got to, 
it's tough. It's really tough. You've got to work out what you're going to do uh, with your insulin, you know, an hour before, during, hour after. Because it's not just before and during. Like, if, if, you do a, if you do a run, an hour later, you could just plummet and you're in trouble. So you've got to watch what you're doing. So on, di- on the diabetes one note, uh, sorry, on a type one diabetes note then, if you was to go back and speak to 14-year-old George Harris on the day that he was probably a little bit shaken and a bit upset about the whole diabetes thing, what would you say to him? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Technology will catch up with us. Yeah. Which it does on a daily basis on different counts, not just conditions. Um, and whatever you want to do, crack on. You can do it. Amazing, mate. Um, that, yeah. Right, we're gonna move. We'll like we we kind of mentioned running, so we'll go on to the running thing, mate. What was it about long distance running that you you obviously took a like to it from like my memory? Um, and I think even Lewis Voisey mentions you a lot because I think you and him would have been like battling it out in some races, like yeah, back yeah. in sort of school and college time. What was yeah. it about running that has kept you hooked up until now, Lennon? Is it just because you're good at it? Yeah, you know what? Just yeah. Unfortunately, the, the main aspect of obviously when you follow some sort of sports because you, you have, you know, you have something to give for it. Like, yeah, yes, I was good at it. I was good at running. Um, but it's also the aspect of being like outside. Um, there's there's something called a runner's high, which is, I don't know whether you've ever experienced it before and, and some people might- Once, know what mate. Once, maybe twice. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's actually a thing, you know? Like I've been out in loads of places and you feel runners high and it, you feel like you could do this nonstop for as long as you want. Obviously at some point it's, it, it drops. It's, it's like a, it's like a real boost. It's like, you just goes. yeah, but I just like being outside. I love, I love woodland. I love like mountain running. I love lots of different aspects of it. Um, and you know, I'd like to say that does outweigh my ability to be able to do it. Um, but yeah, of course, of course, you, you, you follow a sport that you're, you know, you, you're, you take to, you're good at. Yeah, amazing. And what was the moment where kind of you knew that you were, obviously you must have won a race, right? Like what was the race that st- stood out for you growing up that was the one that was, Geez, I must be pretty good. I've finished first out of all these people. Uh, yeah. yeah, good question. Uh, it wasn't necessarily a first. It was, um, I must have been 13 just before I had diabetes. It was yeah. a national race in Sunderland. Wow. And it was the biggest race I'd done, obviously, prior to that little lad i used to be i used to be very short very skinny um amongst there was about 300 other boys on this start line um so it was pretty big and yeah i mean i didn't come first came eighth but knowing that i obviously traveled seven hours to go to sunderland there was there was club nationals yeah it's 300 plus other lads and yeah i've come top 10 what's the uh Sorry, mate. What's the biggest race that you've done since? Oh, biggest race I've done since. 
on on a non-competitive side. Yeah, like well, whatever, whatever stands out to you in your brain is like something that you would do again, basically a hundred times so, over. So I, I mean, I, I mentioned this brief, well, hardly briefly, but I sort of like picked up on it earlier before we talked. Was um, the Great Ethiopian Run? Amazing. That'll yeah. always be my best event I've ever done alongside the mini marathon. I'll go back to the great Run, but the mini marathon is, is an event for children that takes place before the London marathon. Okay. So you have the London marathon that starts at say 9am in the morning. Yeah. And, and the, the elite runners go, obviously the mass then go after before all of that mini marathon happens. So you run 2.6 miles. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We finish off obviously the last loop running through the mile um, in London past Buckingham Palace. Wow. And you run in your counties. Well, I certainly did when, when I did it. You run in your counties, and that was unbelievable. And you stay there for the day and then you watch your runners. That was cool. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I can imagine. Then, um, if you segue back into the Great Ethiopian Opium Run. Yeah. So, the Great Ethiopian Run is, is um, Africa's largest road race. It's like similar to the Great North Run. So, it's, it's a mass 10K race. Um, they have about 50, 40 to 50,000 mass runners, about 300 elite men, 300 elite women. And um, I was very lucky enough to go over there for a few years and help organize it. But also take part in the elite race as well as the mass race. So doing, doing, the, doing the elite race was incredible was, as really there was only three white guys in the, in the pack. Yeah. Um, and that was quite surreal and, and obviously being, being able to, you know, hold your own for a little bit. Um, you know, it was nowhere near the front, <laughs> not, not, not a chance, but the, the year before that in the mass race, it, it's, it's basically a massive party. Like okay. everyone, everyone gets sent these colorful t-shirts that represent the race and everyone wears them on that day. So it's like a sea of yellow, a sea of red, whatever it is, sea of green. And they just dance and sing along the whole 10 K. And it's in a, it's so hard to describe to people, um, but it's just one of those moments where you have goosebumps the whole way run, running around. Amazing, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, magic. So, talk to me about your experience in Ethiopia as a whole, then. So I know you got pretty close with, like, I mean, I don't know the guy's name, but he runs for Ethiopia. Is that correct? Yeah, highly, yeah. highly, Grasselassi, yeah, yeah. So tell us about him. So he he um, he's a very influential guy over there, not just in in sport, but sort of like politically as well now. But he he's arguably their most decorated long distance runner. They they call him the emperor of long running uh, long distance. Wow. Um, he's had twenty one world records, multiple gold medal, Olympics, um, world champs, blah blah blah, all, the whole the whole lot. Um, so he's he's treated over there like a like a king really. Um, and amongst all of one of his business um, ventures, he he uh, has a has a huge part of. Or he was a co-founder alongside um, Brendan Foster, who was one of our decorated runners for GB, yeah. and Sir Miles Wickstead, who was at the time the ambassador for uh, um, Ethiopia, um, and they created the Great Ethiopian Run. So. When you go over there, you know, if you're going to be part of the team, essentially, at some point, you're going to come across Kylie and which was a dream, really, because he was a role model as a, as a runner. Um, and 
it was it was fantastic to to listen to his stories, be alongside him, basically look after him when when we were down at the race. He invites you to to his house for for meals and yeah, it's magic. It's magic. What sort of, like tell us about the food over there? I love food, so I'm intrigued. Uh wow. So there's a lot of raw meats. Right. A lot of raw meats. The in the mornings there's large queues outside of butchers and they'll literally just cut off raw meat from from the, the animals and and they'll eat it like cubes wow yeah um they have something called injera which is like a it's almost like the best thing to that it looks like is a pancake um and you tear off the pancake and you have lots of um pastes with your with your cooked cooked meat and non and you use that and jello that pancake as like your fork so you, you you put it down onto the food and you scoop it and then you have both that meat or paste or rice with that and jello it's, it is nice it's a very um it's one of those that you you have to get used to yeah yeah sure i was going to say how did you cope with the non non I, mean, I didn't touch any of that i didn't touch oh. any of the raw yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, i'm not getting in there i the, my first year i did go over there i, I got food poisoning through um salad obviously washing it in the water and things although i'd stayed clear of the whole time and yeah you just got to be careful wherever you go yeah sure so the um say the guy's name again so highly highly yeah yeah so what did, what was the biggest things that you learned from him in regards to long distance running then well, it was in terms of like learning things from him. It was more of his like resilience with his his upbringing. So he he started running really when he was when he was like five or six. Wow! So he lived ten k away from his school. Obviously, no no shoes or anything. So he'd run across all the fields, carrying his books to school. He would do school. He would run back. So twenty k at the age of six, you know, before three o'clock really. And then after that, he then farm with his family. So right. that, you know, and, and, you know, there are a lot higher um, oxygen levels than we are, uh, which, which helps, but they, you know, they eat, breathe, sleep running over there. And actually, interestingly, he, where he was, where he would hold the books. If you watch him, I can't remember what side, what arm it is, but if you watch him run, he has a slight kink in one of his, his arms yeah. where he used to hold the books. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was just that really, you know, like we're, we're very privileged, privileged with our upbringing um, and even technology with shoes, etc. There was none of that. Um, but we did, we, we ran together once just on his tread on treadmills. And I mean, I wasn't going, I wasn't hanging around, but all I did was 10 uh, was 5k. And he was next to me as if he was just on this brisk walk. No way. And I stopped and he looked at me and said, well, is that it? And I was absolutely gassed. So, um, just <laughs> knowing that, you know, it's completely different levels. Absolutely Amazing. different. But... Yeah, that's class. Cool. So Georgie, um, you did go to university as well. And there's something that you mentioned in regards to the facilities that you had. What was it about them that made them so special? At Cardiff Met, you have a, a national indoor athletic center indoor track that there's only a few in the country and um it was it was unbelievable you know it's 
it's something running on an outdoor track, but then an indoor track. I don't know. There's something. A little, there's something about it. It's a lot more sort of inclusive. It feels good. You're indoors, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Different environment. You've got other things going on at the same time. Um, I love that, and and the coaches there are world class. That have that have had got their own accolades, um, which bring athletes of again another level um, international athletes. So you're in the midst of some of the best in the world. So you've 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 obviously got to take the opportunity or or not really. So yeah, the facilities there are unbelievable. Does that like almost naturally raise your standards then? Yeah, definitely. Because you 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 obviously certainly as like a fresher or a first second year, and you look to see that like you've still got one more year or you've still got two more years, and you see what you could potentially become or you know where you could go. And yeah, definitely, you 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 always perform when there's better around you. So what did you yeah. what did you compete in when you were at uni, mate? I did the running. Yeah, I did running. You did, so, yeah. What were your distances or this? What was your main distance? Um, half marathon and 10k. Half, yeah, mate. Honestly, like I, I've done a couple of 10ks and I do want to do a half marathon, but I feel like it's one of them where like I run a 10k and I'm like, I enjoyed it, but not that much. Like, do I want to go to the next level? But I think with enough training, get me get me around that half you, marathon yeah, track. You could you could definitely do it. Definitely do it. You pick the right pick the right event. You know that has your name written all over it. You can do it with other people. You know, make it a make it a realistic goal. Um, not necessarily like a time thing, more of a yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I need to look at. I don't. Um, nothing. Not even in a snobby way. I don't because I think it's one of those things that I would do as a one-off. I yeah. would definitely prefer to choose to do a half marathon that's like big city or you know what I yeah, mean yeah. somewhere somewhere nice. So. Yeah, gonna do that. Well, that's, that's why a lot of people do like London Marathon or they do Chicago or Boston or New York because you go to these places and you basically see the city. Yeah. Run yeah. around the city and take in the yeah. sights. Yeah. Finally, mate, your latest venture as a your co-owner of a gym, is that correct? Correct, yeah. How is it going? <laughs> Honestly, or <laughs> no? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, mate. Look, mate. You said to me, um, like, almost not off the record, but just it's tough running a business. Um, but in general, good experience. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fantastic. You you get to know your members very well, very well, which is great. I love it. Um, you have the opportunity to impact people's lives more than you can imagine yeah you have the ability to do things the way you want to do them um you don't really have any restrictions yeah um if things go wrong well they're your own fault so you have to sort them out it's almost quite nice to have that responsibility on your own shoulders then right uh, yeah it's it's brilliant it's brilliant and you learn so much from it like i've learned so much over the last two years um, obviously, most of it, you know, most of the time we've been open, it's been COVID. So learning from that has been incredible from a business point of view and, you know, training and, you know, everything else that comes with it. Yeah. yeah that has been tough. And uh, I mean, any business you're going to go into, it's not going to be an easy ride. And, and we've only just started. Like, There's going to be so many different barriers and hurdles. 
but you've just got to be ready for it. You mentioned those uh, biggest big tests that you've had. What are the biggest ones that you have had then over the last two years? Obviously, COVID was one. Once, mm. I think the question I'm asking is, what lessons have you learned on a business owner's front that you could share to somebody if you were like doing a doing a business seminar rather than a diabetes one? Patience. Yeah. We all, we all want to be successful yesterday. Um, and unfortunately, well, it doesn't happen. So take your time with it. Make sure you've got your goals, your monthly goals, your yearly goals. Stick, stick with it. However, there's going to be times where you have to, you know, revert to plan B. Um, just you got to enjoy it as well. You got to enjoy it. Um, yeah, I think that just patience is the main thing. Just know that you know that you're doing the right thing. If you if you if you know where you want to go, then you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Would you say that there's um, you have to kind of like this is something I heard on another podcast, and obviously you like every greatest plan on earth has been made by somebody else it's just like regurgitated knowledge if you like yeah. but there's something in regards to business and chasing success that it's actually not success that's you get you got to fall in love with chasing the success not the success itself yeah yeah absolutely um and that, but that's massive in in like the gym industry like chasing success you could class as obviously having someone new into the gym seeing them get where they want to get with their fitness and lifestyle and and then walk out the door and you go and yeah we did that nailed it yeah we did that like there's nothing better than that Re there really isn't you could you could argue that like, people could argue obviously monetary value is something to people like believe me there's, there's if it was everyone would do it yeah i think if if money was dangling people would go for it you've got to have that other sort of um you've got to have that other sort of drive yeah sure. sure and like it comes to values right i don't know if you've ever seen a guy called dr d martini um john d martini he basically yeah. wrote a book called the values factor yeah. and basically um he like there's things like family uh money um, helping like thing like basically you write down all of your values and then you kind of like work out which ones are the ones that stand out the yeah. most for you and some yeah. people's values would be money so they'll go into sales and they'll make they'll go live in do you know what I mean go live in London they'll sell socks buy socks blah 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 socks I nearly said socks sell sell and buy socks they're not going to make much money out of that nah sell and buy stocks there we go um or like for somebody like me and you, potentially, George, it's like you value helping people more, but obviously the, the value that you're providing helping people, you can make a living from, which is good. And then on another front, it could be like your family values are really high. So like from an early age, you're chasing that like house, marriage, um, kids, you know what I mean? And and that's really interesting because everybody's got different things. But yeah, it's really interesting to hear that. You, you said that, um, you know, everyone's, you know, you you become you can become successful with someone else's plan it's how you do it it's exactly it's like how many pts are there in the world and, and as, as a new millions. pt or a aspiring pt you go well how can i get clients when there's already 100 pts in the town mm. you've got a, obviously yes you're going to do the same same methods and same ways of training people potentially but you've got to find out how you are better than them how do you how do you stand up for the crowd for them? Like you have to invest back in yourself. 
to be able to do that. Same with business, you have to invest whatever you've got back into it, knowing that you're going to be that step further than being better than someone else. Yeah, it's a great point. I got two questions to before we go into the 11 to finish competition at the end, mate. What makes you stand out as a PT individually? Mm. High pressure question, sorry. A high pressure question. Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this, I'm lucky with it. Like I have diabetes. Not every PT has diabetes. Like I'm very lucky to be able to share that knowledge with people that have diabetes. And, and that's one of my, my aims is to help as many people with diabetes to either get remission of type two or increase, you know, improve their lifestyle of type one. Do you, is that your niche? Would you say that is your little niche? Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Everybody has to find their niche and that's 100% mine. That'll go back to saying that that's the cards that I've been dealt and I've played them. Amazing, mate. And then finally, what is next for George Harris? Uh, good question. Uh, in 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 work, do you mean, or in, in nah? Life? So like, you must have you must have other goals than just business goals. So on your yearly goals this year, what are they? Uh, well, one one of my main things at the moment is um, I'm I'm buying a house with my partner, and and we're really trying to invest a lot of time and effort into making it the best place possible. So that's like on one of my top priorities at the minute. Congratulations, um, mate! Thank you. Um, and it's it's a unbelievable journey, you know, when and hopefully everyone has the opportunity to do. Um, in terms of myself, I'm going to be hopefully running London at the end of the year, so we'll see how oh, that goes. Son. Yeah. Um, and and I'm just going to just you just I mean I think I'll ban everyone just keep improving what you're doing, improving what I'm doing. Increasing my knowledge on the diabetes front and the training front and business front and and see where the wave takes me, I think. Perfect, Georgie. Mate, that's been that basically is wrapping up your podcast. But of course, I'll go into the eleven questions to finish, which I end the podcast with with yep. every grassroots guest. So, mate, I've got eleven questions for you that you've got to answer in the quickest possible time. If you are the winner, then you do win a T-shirt that I'll get designed when uh, the winner comes out. All right, mate? Yeah. Wait, these, these are obviously correct answers. Uh, no, mate. It's like opinion, basically, or like your favourites of stuff. All right? Yeah. There's no right or wrong answer, basically. Are you ready to go? Yeah. Cool. In three, two, one. George, what is your Tesco meal deal choice? Oh, uh, BLT, Kit Kat, bottle of water. Best sport in memory? This is not a very quick one. Pass. Can we go back to it? Yeah, sporting hero. Kylie Gabbard. Favorite pair of football boots. Total nineties. Go-to music choice. Uh, R&B. Favorite tipple, like alcoholic beverage. Negroni. Best leader or captain you played with on the football pitch. Captain or leader, Luke Vivash. Most famous opposition. Uh, lied. Advice you would like to have given yourself at 18? Uh, back yourself. Best players you played with on the football pitch? More than one? Yeah, well, one will be quickest. <laughs> no, I, 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 I think I've already lost. Yeah, so, you have, yeah. Carry yeah, on. Yeah. 
Let's go. Let's go. I'll go back to Luke. Yeah. Josh Clark. Yeah. Oh, mate. Uh, yeah. Alex Watts at the back. Um, who else? We've got. Jamie at the back, to be fair. Gibbo. Gibbo. Big Gibbo. And then one more. Uh, oh, was it? He, he was at Millfield. Who said to him at the start? I think Oscar said it at the start. Go, 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 go. Oh, Vo- Voisey might have said it. Yeah, I don't know. Voisey's- yeah. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, all right. Well, that. Man from man from Millfield, you were rated. And then, have you yeah. or did you have any pre-match habits? No, never. Never. Um, and then no. going back to the one that you passed on, best sporting memory. Best sporting memory would have been. Let's go 20, 20, 2012 Olympics. Amazing, mate. Random answer. No, that's good. That's a good answer. Um. Good stuff, mate. How have I you found? No, you haven't won the t-shirt, mate. No, I did. I think I did. To be honest with you, I'm not even going to tell you what your time was because it weren't very good. No, at all. I, don't <laughs> I got diabetes, so you got to take at least a minute off. All right, yeah, fair. I'll take 30 seconds off, and you're still not one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How have you found your experience in the grassroots? Yeah, I love it. These chats are good, aren't they? Because they they open up your thought process and your mind and gets everything taken. It's good. We 100%. should. Everyone should do it more. Yeah, and uh, if people want to come and find a bit more about Morfit, mate, where where can they come? Yeah, I don't know whether you can hear it in the background, but we've got a conditioning class going on at the minute, and it's it does sound pretty good to be honest. Is there a lot uh, of people there? We've got one, two, three, four, five, eleven. Yeah, nice, good turnout. Um, well, we're down on the Penn Mill Training Estate. Um, we've got a little cafe area which a lot of people utilise just for a coffee. Um, Sam and I are down here or we, we walk in here all day, every day, chatting to people getting to know people, bringing people in training people um, a very personable gym So, Someone you know, very close to me has great things to say about the gym mate So, Appreciate it, thank you There you go, um, and to be fair like not even on that note, I've trained there twice now and I love it, so yeah, good cool. stuff it's, mate I it's, love. It's cool, it's a cool little place I love seeing what you're doing mate, I love seeing what you and Sam are doing, I think it's a really welcoming environment and yeah, man, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, if you want to come find me, you can find me at the Grassroots Guy on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, if you have any questions or you want to contact me, you can contact me at the Grassroots Guy Pod at gmail.com. And I will be back here with a new episode every Friday. Georgie Harris, say cheerio. Cheerio. Thank you for listening, everybody. Speak soon. <laughs>